Hear the word of God from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. And this reading comes to us from the New Revised Standard Version. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Before I give the sermon this morning, I want to offer a pastoral word, acknowledging yet again acts of mass violence in our country. We come together in the wake of three more mass shootings this past week alone in California, Texas, and as of early this morning, Dayton, Ohio. In addition, a vehicle tore through a peaceful assembly rallying against violence in Wisconsin yesterday. And we offer our condolences to the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leawood, Kansas, as the daughter of one of their pastors was shot and killed by a stray bullet in public. Ezekiel 18.32 says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord. Turn then and live. This passage reminds us of two truths. First, God desires an end to deaths like these. And second, God calls us to turn, to change, to repent, to choose the way that leads to life. So we offer our thoughts and prayers that will not only provide condolence, but that will lead to change. Changes in our gun laws that treat gun violence at the very least as a national health crisis rather than simply one of gun ownership. Changes in the way we support and treat mental illness. Changes in the way our society is willfully soaked in a culture of violence. But there is one other change that is necessary. In the wake of growing reports of the motivation behind the shooter in El Paso, we are called to denounce the growing tide of white nationalism and white supremacy in this country. This last concern is much deeper, much deeper than a legislative or policy issue. It is the kind of evil, injustice, and oppression that our baptismal vows call us to resist. To put it in the language of faith, it is a wrestling against the principalities and the powers and the spiritual forces of wickedness. Last week, we were reminded that Fred Rogers called all of us to be tikkun olam, repairers of creation. We are called to confront racism and discrimination against people of all colors and ages and sexual orientations and immigration status and social standings. 
So let us open our hearts and our minds to be doers of the word, not just hearers, and to be repairers of creation in all that we do and say. Let us pray together. O God, meet us in our grief. Lead us to holy resistance. For you take no pleasure in the events of this past week. And in response, you call us to turn toward life. Comfort the grieving. Empower us to action. Forgive us for silence and inaction. And lead us by your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the recurring themes throughout the Bible is this, sharing supersedes selfishness. You'll hear me say that a few times this morning, sharing supersedes selfishness. Time and time again, God is constantly telling the people of God that they need to share all of the blessings that God has given them for the benefit of the world. In the book of Isaiah, God calls the Israelites to be a light to the nations, to take the light of God's love and be a witness to the ends of the earth. In the book of Jonah, we hear about that very reluctant prophet who was called to share a message of God's love with, of all people, the Ninevites, the sworn enemy of the Israelites. In the book of Acts, Peter receives a vision that he is to take the message of God's love to, of all people, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, people who by and large were considered to be outsiders of God's love, now were to receive God's love. God makes it clear over and over again in the Bible that the love of God is not meant to be kept to yourself, it is meant to be shared. And of all of the words that Jesus preached in the Gospels, I think the passage that most succinctly and most clearly reminds the disciples and us that we need to share is the passage that Dennis just read for you from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. You are the salt of the earth, a flavoring agent for all creation, and you are the light of the world, meant to be a beacon of light in a world full of darkness. Salt and light, those are the gifts that God has given you, and it's better to share than to be selfish. Now, it's hard to imagine that such a commonplace item as salt could be such a powerful metaphor for Jesus. I mean, light we understand. We, we get how light is powerful. Darkness can be vanquished by just a single flame. You take light and you focus it, and it can be a powerful laser. The light that comes from the sun can produce life out of lifelessness. But salt, common, ordinary salt, what does it mean for Jesus to say that you are meant to be salt? Well, here's what we know about the properties of salt. Salt is much more than a flavoring agent, as we know. Salt can be used to preserve food over the long haul and help curb hunger. Salt can be used to sprinkle on ice and sidewalks to make it easier to walk or, or roads to make it safer to drive. Salt can be sprinkled on manure to transform it into fertilizer. Salt has lots of uses. And so Jesus is basically saying that within you is a salt mine of potential that can make a huge difference in the world. 
But it's even more than that. The point that Jesus is making is this. Salt is not only meant to be useful, it is best when it is shared. Salt needs to be shared. Back in 2003, historian Mark Kurlansky wrote a marvelous book. You wouldn't know that this was an entertaining book based on the title. It was called Salt, A World History. I promise you the book was more entertaining than the title suggests. And what it suggests is that salt, of all things, has changed the history of the world more than gold, more than silver, more than precious metals. The pursuit and acquisition of salt has dictated the rise and fall of world civilizations. And he gives one example after the other, beginning with the ancient Chinese. They were the first ones to harvest salt, and it led to the rise of the prominence of the, of the Chinese people. Then the ancient Egyptians used it to preserve the dead in their mummies as a way of preserving their heritage and their history. The Celts, who were named the Celts because they were nicknamed the people of the salt, were known for developing technologies for harvesting salt in their vast salt mines. And then when they, when they were uh, conquered by the Romans, the Roman Empire took over the Celtic salt operations in order for Roman soldiers to be fed all throughout their long journeys and their long battles. Basically, the point is this. If you control the salt, you control the power. American colonists were furious by British taxation on salt, and it's one of the reasons that we had an American Revolution. The French Revolution overthrew its monarchy in, in part due to salt taxation. Even Mahatma Gandhi, as he led the Indians against uh, British oppression through peaceful revolt, he used taxes on salt as a motivating factor. Keeping the salt to yourself has never been the answer. Sharing supersedes selfishness. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples. And that's what he's telling us today. The salt of God's love is meant to be shared, not meant to be kept to yourself. But you know what? The point that Jesus is making is even stronger than that. Because we remember that Matthew 5, 13 to 15 is set in the context of a wider sermon that Jesus was preaching. Not just any sermon, the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount. And let's remember how that sermon begins. It begins by reminding us that the people who can make the greatest impact in the world are the people you would least expect. Not the powerful or the rich not the proud or the put together, but Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek and the merciful and the mourning. Blessed are the pure and the peacemakers. Blessed are the ones that other people might reject and persecute and demean. They are the ones with the salt. They are the ones who can change the world, the people you would least expect if only they would share it. In other words, Matthew was saying in some way, 
Blessed are you, people of Wakanda. One of the most popular films in 2018 was Black Panther, a blockbuster movie about the Marvel comic book hero by the same name. Now, I'll admit to you that I am a serious Marvel movie buff. I have seen all 23 films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe over the past 11 years, multiple times. In fact, I met many of those superheroes at the Tampa Bay Convention Center yesterday. <laughs> but few of those movies were as groundbreaking and genre-bending as Black Panther, which for the first time brought to center stage a hero of African descent, King T'Challa, also known as Black Panther, played by Chadwick Boseman. When we first meet T'Challa, he is not a king, he is a prince of an African nation that the entire world perceived as poor, as third world, as impoverished. In other words, the kind of meek and poor and persecuted people that Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 5. But boy, were those Wakandans blessed. I mean, really blessed. As it turns out, they were blessed with something that was as valuable as salt to the ancient world. Thousands of years ago, as the story goes, a meteorite containing the rare metal vibranium crashed into the ancient lands of Wakanda. Now, vibranium was no ordinary metal. It was a metal that could absorb and store massive amounts of energy. It was the strongest metal of the universe. And from its vast resources and access to vibranium in its minefields, the people of Wakanda alone used the metal to advance its technologies and to create vast intellectual capacity. They created things like levitating vehicles and powerful weapons and advanced medical capabilities. In other words, little old Wakanda, meek and mild Wakanda, became the world's most powerful nation. The meek literally had inherited the earth. And we learn all of this in the first two minutes of the Black Panther film.
So that's the kicker. The people of Wakanda chose to keep the vibranium to themselves. They concealed their power, and they still pretended to be a powerless nation on the outside while choosing to withhold all of those blessings of vibranium from others, including from other countries in Africa, including African-Americans who are living in this country. And so the key source of conflict in Black Panther is not good versus evil, it is not good guy versus bad guy, it is not hero versus villain, it is a choice between two options, to share or not to share, to keep the blessings that one has received for oneself or to be generous with others. The closest the film Black Panther comes to having a villain is an individual named Killmonger. You can tell by the name of the villain that he's a villain. Killmonger is an African-American who was motivated out of anger that the Wakandans had kept vibranium to themselves rather than share it with people of African descent who were suffering all around the world. So Killmonger goes to Wakanda to confront King T'Challa with the express intent of overthrowing him so he could release all of the riches and benefits of vibranium to people of African descent all over the world. And so King T'Challa, Black Panther, has a very difficult choice to make. On the one hand, to follow the path of his ancestors who practiced a policy of isolation and protectionism against colonialism or to share the blessings of vibranium for the benefit of the world. And in the final scene of the film, following the end credits, we learn the choice that Black Panther, King T'Challa, announced to the entire world. yourself as too meek, as too powerless to possibly make a difference in the world. But Jesus says the exact opposite. The more humble you are, the more powerless you feel, the more of a difference you can make. Because you don't have to be motivated by your self-interests. You don't have to be driven by selfishness. You can instead share the blessings that God has given you with, the other, with everyone else in the world. And as King T'Challa says, 
more connects us than divides us. We are stronger when we work together. The wise build bridges, the foolish build barriers. In a moment, we're going to be coming forward for communion, and as a way of receiving and preparing for communion, we will hear the words of our ancient liturgy, make us one with Christ, one with each other, one in ministry to all the world, as if indeed we were one single tribe. The vibranium or the salt that God has given you is the gift of love. It is a love that will motivate you to reach out and invite others into an experience of God's love. It is a love that will drive you to forgiveness and peace rather than violence and revenge. It is a love that will enable you to build bridges rather than barriers that separate us one from another. And it is a love that will compel you to share rather than be selfish. The passage ends with this promise that if you are salt, if you are light, Jesus says, then others will see your good works and they will glorify God in heaven. Let it be so. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this compelling and powerful reminder of the gift of your love that you have given to all of us. Forgive us and our tendencies to keep that love to ourselves. Forgive us for feeling overcome by our powerlessness in the midst of such brokenness in the world. Forgive us for our silence and our inaction. Forgive us for giving in to the barriers that divide us rather than seeking ways for us to come together. Prepare our hearts and our minds for communion. May it be for us a sacramental reminder of the love that unites us and the love that compels us to be salt, to be light, to share. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And let all God's salty people say, Amen. And so in response to God's word, we invite you to prepare God's tithes, your gifts, your offerings, to prepare your heart and your mind for the receipt of Holy Communion as the ushers come forward at this time.